You are listening to Lockdown, recorded live at RSA Conference 2016. Brought to you by Red Hat and TheStack.com. Recorded live at the Moscone Center in San Francisco. Hey guys, you're listening to episode one of Lockdown. My name is Richard Morrell. I'm the principal security strategist here over at Red Hat. I'm going to be your host for the week, and we're going to take you on an audio journey. This is for people who are both attending on the show floor using your device of choice, or people who couldn't attend who may want to attend future RSA events globally. So we're going to be talking to the movers and shakers at RSA this week. We're going to be talking to some of the keynoters, some of the principal people here. We're going to be talking to vendors. We're going to be looking at new threat mitigation technology. We're going to be looking at emerging technology. We're going to be taking you on that audio journey, if you will, pumping the best of RSA conference into your headphones. So first up this morning, we're going to be talking to Richard Steenan. Now, Richard's been on my radio show before. He's the author of There Will Be Cyber War, which was published in the summer. I picked it up on the way to the airport, going on a holiday to to the Mediterranean. It terrified the life out of me, so I thought, better get him back on the show. He's also ex-Gartner. He's a Forbes columnist. He's a U.S. government advisor. You've probably seen him talk or hear him talk at conferences. So I thought, what a coup. Let's start the week off the best way we possibly can, and let's sit down and talk to Richard. And we're going to be talking first up about CNAP, the new U.S. federal government cybersecurity program. So sit back, enjoy. There's going to be 15 or 16 more shows coming out of RSA conference this year. If you'd like to be on the show, come and grab me. I'm the guy walking around the conference floor with a microphone. Make yourself famous. Come back soon. Thanks for listening. We're going to be talking today about an emerging initiative from us.gov. We're going to be talking about the Cybersecurity National Action Plan, CNAP. Richard. Yeah, so this is going to be, uh, this is news, right? So the federal government, especially under the Obama administration, has been struggling with cybersecurity and issuing presidential directives for seven years. And they're wrapping it all up in the last uh, year of President Obama's term with massive new spending plans and some structural changes as well. So over the last 10 years, there has been a series of initiatives that haven't necessarily delivered the functionality and the guidance that you know, we expected from, the, from, from US.gov. Why is this different? So there's a slight difference now in that there's money behind it, There's the learning curve of the exasperation of talking about security for 10 years and still having major breaches like OPM, Anthem, um, the FBI, uh, the DNI's email being uh, hacked, et cetera, et cetera. It just goes on and on, Mm -hmm. and everybody gets together and talks about it. But those that are actually in charge of security pretty much have learned when you're inside a huge bureaucracy. If somebody asks you to do something better, you say, pay me more money. And we've had a dysfunctional Congress for at least eight years who can't even pass a cybersecurity breach bill, which uh, that was my first experience on the Hill was trying to um, nurse that through. Uh, So now in the United States, there are 45 separate cybersecurity uh, breach requirements, one for each state, Mm -hmm. Um, and there's no national bill at all. The only thing we managed to get past uh, was uh, CISPA, which allows for information sharing. And information sharing, even though there's benefits to it, is not 
the solution that the federal government needs in all of its many agencies. They're so far behind. They're using outdated methodologies. They can't afford to hire the right people. Um, they just don't have what it takes in order to secure their environments. So are they going to be going out to... I, I hesitate to use the term beltway bandits. Are they going to be going out to industry in order to partner to do this? or? Well, that certainly has always been open to them. Industry, there's a $104 billion industry that's waiting there to sell them the right solutions. And on top of that, there's a huge consulting industry that could show them the right solutions. But the very best solutions have been developed in the last three to four years, the, the things that stop uh, you know, these so-called advanced persistent threats, um, nation-state attacks. And those guys are selling so well that they don't have time to sit back and get the government certifications to be accepted. So everyone inside the government, mostly the intelligence agencies and the Pentagon, have to go around government pro uh, procurement uh, procedures in order to buy this stuff. So there's no open door policy for federal government to actually get the right solutions that they need. But have we got to a point now where just throwing money at this is a solution? Well, money isn't the solution at all. Um, I've, yeah, you know, post OPM, I really felt that the, even though they've gotten an extra billion dollars in budget to do something, um, you can just read between the lines and realize that there's so little in their organizational structure, their expertise, their uh, architectures that could be done with no additional budget at all. You may have to delay spending on, on some projects in IT, uh, but you could quickly, I believe, in any organization, fix their security without throwing money at it. It's a common sense approach, and we, we've yeah. talked about this before on past podcasts. It's about understanding the infrastructure you've got, but also understanding your ambition and how do you get to that end goal. Yeah. Think about uh, securing your own home against uh, intruders. Um, you know, you wouldn't, if, if all of a sudden you felt a need to do that because the neighbor's house got broken into, uh, you wouldn't have to spend a penny in order to double or quadruple the physical security of your home, right? You figure out how to lock the windows and change your procedures so the windows are locked and the doors are locked when you leave and you leave the lights on uh, when you're not at home. Uh, all those things are the equivalent of what could be done inside any department that's that's falling behind on security. But, you know, improving defense and depth is one thing, but having those mandated controls across, you know, government organizations, that that's... How do you, what's the shape of the stick you use to hit yeah. people to do it? Yeah, see, that, so that's the trouble. And the, any large bureaucracy uh, is ruled from the top. And, you know, the bigger the bureaucracy, the, the bigger the voice that has to say, do this. And, of course, uh, um, lifetime bureaucrats have learned if somebody tells you to do something, ask for money. Sure. This is your chance. So you're gonna, if you're going to change the way things were done in the past, give me more money and I'll do it. The, the solution, I believe, in a you know, widely dispersed, massive organization like the U.S. federal government is bottoms-up security. Sure. So this is now you go down to the director level and you inform them that security is their responsibility and their job is on the line. Um, maybe some uh, performance bonuses if they don't get breached. Um, but basically... If, if you, they don't get breached. <laughs> if you do get breached, we're probably going to look for a replacement for you. So somebody somewhere has to sit up at night worried about the next breach. And it can't be the President of the United States. It can't be a secretary-level person. It has to be the person who can actually uh, institute, you know, privileged user management, the person who can can say that there's, you know, no access to certain resources with just a username and password. But, but traditional, you know, 
government mandated security controls have always been label-based systems, common criteria, yeah, yeah. you know, all these spreadsheets and high-level designs that people have to walk through, which are basically just spreadsheets with tick boxes. Yeah. You know, do you have SSL installed? Do you have Telnet turned off? You know, that's been the, the limit. Yeah, imagine you are a politician, a congressman, a member of parliament, and you're very frustrated with the number of breaches. When somebody comes to you and proposes that we should certify all the workers, in IT so that they have security certifications, you think, wow, that sounds good. That's what we do in railroads and, and uh, air traffic. So we should do that in security. So they engage in a massive program to certify people. <clears throat> five years later, people are getting certified in five-year-old technology and, and uh, methodologies. Uh, in cybersecurity, it doesn't work. The, the space, the environment is not going to be the same five years from now, let alone five months from now as it is today. Um, and uh, certification programs won't work, and yet they're working very, very uh, uh, hard and spending a lot of money on certification. You're in a unique position in the industry. Uh, you have, with IT Harvest, a magnet which attracts not just decision makers, but also the people who are shaping what security looks like, both from a a third-party ecosystem of retrofitted security devices, but also movers and shakers in the industry who are developing the next tools which will be going after the app-centric you know, mobile market, but also how we're going to be managing devices, how we're going to be fitting all this stuff into our infrastructure. Taking their temperature as you do at RSA and other conferences, do you feel that we're actually making headway? If you're, if you're concerned that people are using the word password as their password, you can uh, train them until everybody's retired or dead, um, or you can just implement a simple rule that doesn't allow people to use the word password as their password. And that's you know simple idea of technology being the solution. The, the number of startups that uh, have been funded and launched and are growing today and making revenue um, in new solutions to address the new threats is, is snowing me under. You know, it's my full-time job to keep track of this industry. And I used to be proud that somebody couldn't mention a security company without me having have heard of it and talked to them. Now that happens every single day. There's, there's over 1,400 security vendors. Um, probably I'm missing 300 around the world, 100 of them being in, in Israel. You just got back from Israel. Yeah, in Israel, I attended the CyberTech 2016 uh, conference, and I got to uh, meet the head of uh, Israel's um, Cyber Bureau. So it's interesting, you know, comparing the new CNAP to the types of things that Israel's doing. Now, of course, keep in mind, Israel's a very, very tiny country, um, but they have the same political infighting that uh, any democracy has. And yet they've established a cyber bureau, and, and <clears throat> within the cyber bureau is a cyber authority. Mm -hmm. So they're actually, the cyber authority is actually going to say that, hey, if you are a business, you must maintain security at XYZ level. Mm -hmm. They're going to be very um, meticulous about what they want people to do in order to stay in business. Um, the cyber bureau is taking the role of, you know, the... 30 different things inside the U.S. government to keep track of uh, policy and, and uh, you know, where the government should go and where they should fund things, et cetera. Um, and then they're starting a uh, cyber center in uh, Beersheba, which is, and they're actually moving the vaunted 82, unit 8200 um, of the Army um, 
everybody's going to be based in Beersheba. So now the spin-offs that you have, because don't forget in, in uh, Israel, everyone has to uh, be in the army. In national service, yeah. And they've got uh, the men have three years, women have two years. That means, you know, in a group that I estimated is about 500 people, every year there's at least 150 people coming out of that who are well-trained in signals intelligence and technology and programming and all the rest. Who end up in startups like Exactly. <laughs> You know, so it, that uh, they're getting diluted in their value because every I was single say, that's startup. Where, that's where Akamai came from with yeah. Dan Lewin, the late great Dan Lewin. Yeah. And Checkpoint uh, was some of the original graduates sure. from uh, 8200 uh, with Nier and or Shlomo and, and uh, uh, Gil. No. So, so it's... So they are... Uh, they've got more focus and they recognize the... Uh, national priority of the benefit it's going to bring to them to, because they've got a global perspective, they create a security company, they move to the United States, they start getting market share and bringing money home. Richard, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks very much for taking the time to sit in front of my microphones. Really appreciate it. As with you. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for listening to this episode. You can stream or subscribe to all the shows recorded this week via SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. Be sure to catch up on Richard's latest security post at thestack.com, reporting on all this week's events here at the Moscone.